Welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast, where we believe that the grace of God is yours to live. It is our prayer that this message will help you experience God's freedom, live your potential, and make the impact you were created for. Now here's the message. I love that our church is built on a team. It's not just one person, one platform. It's a family, and it's going, and it's growing baptizing people, people get coming to the Lord, great stuff happening. So I'm excited to be here. I'm going to pick up, um, last week was supposed to be the last part of this message, so I'm just going to give you the last part today. I guess that's okay, right? Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the table. We've been in a series called Table Talk, and what we've been trying to communicate over just the last month, really, is this idea that when we see the table talked about in Scripture, in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, so much of it has to do with Jesus sitting at a table, having a relationship and exchange with people. Anytime he did a miracle in someone's life, it was often followed by a table. Many times after he encountered someone and there was a life change, he would invite himself to their house at a table. Uh, We see that Jesus, uh, even at the Last Supper and in uh, different avenues with people where he was uh, doing miracles, again, there was a table. And it just helps us understand that the beauty of what Jesus was creating in our lives for us to see, a picture of what he wanted to give us to see and get us us to understand, really centered around a table, us meeting with him, him meeting with us, that all the miraculous, that all the power, that all the greatness that he's done really comes back to the beauty of this thing that we see called the table. And at the table, we learn that we sit with Jesus That's what we talked about, that we sit with Jesus. And when we sit at the table with him and we engage in relationship with him, we can bring whatever's going on in our life to the table. Because the cross, which is grace and mercy and forgiveness, covers everything that I may bring to the table. I can bring my brokenness. I can bring my failures. I can bring my shortcomings. I can bring the places in my life where I know I'm not hitting the mark, where I know God is changing, where I know God is improving things. And because of the cross, because of grace, there's hope for me. There's hope for me to grow. I don't come to the table and stay ashamed. I come to the table and I find mercy. I don't come to the table and experience bitterness for very long. Because at the table... Grace changes my heart, gives me the ability to see other people in a different light. Scripture says we've been forgiven much, right? And we see the beauty of forgiving others. And it's only at the table that I think that we really get the perspective that Jesus is communicating to us, that his grace is the centerpiece and the foundation of everything that he's doing. It's the centerpiece at the table. Not my issues, Not my fears, not my faults. It's his grace that's the centerpiece of the relationship. And we talked about that the first week, and there were three places I wanted to go this last few weeks, sitting at the table with Jesus, setting a place for others, and then serving with our gifts. So I want to show you the order of these. Sit at the table with God. That gives us the ability to receive from God. That way we can give out to others. How can I give out if I haven't received anything? If God hasn't healed something in me or changed something in me, how am I going to be able to help others with the things that they're walking through? There was an order to this, right? So we set the table for others. Set the table means we're setting the place. 
We're looking at the things God has done in our life and saying, how can I set a place so others can experience that same thing that God did in me? And then lastly, we're talking about serving the table with our gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, we can read all about our, our gifts, spiritual gifts. But what we're talking about in this order is so important because I, I said serve the table with your gifts, and I did this part last as last part of the series, and here's why. I, I think that it is so easy in, in, in today's world for us to really just want to give our lives to something and make a difference. I think if we're honest, once you, you get, you know, the train going and you start living life and you start paying some bills and doing life, you start realizing there's a little bit more to life than just paying the bills and making money and living my life and, yeah. or achieving my dreams or whatever it is. Something at the core of us is saying there's something more that I'm created for. Yeah. And none of this stuff is satisfying it. So how do I tap into that? How do, how do, I, how do I make the most of that? And so we start serving others. Eventually, that's where we find our place. Charities, opportunities to serve people who are less fortunate. Somewhere else around the world, we start looking for things. How can we make a difference in our neighborhood, in our city, around the world? But here's the problem. Often we start doing that as a substitute for the very thing that it's supposed to begin with, which is sitting at the table with Jesus. Because serving others, we don't just serve others just to serve others. We serve others in the name of Jesus. And if we're doing things in the name of Jesus, then we should probably sit, be sitting at the table hearing from Jesus, learning from him everything he wants to teach us about the heart and the motivation for serving others. Are you with me this morning? Um, so we talked about those three, and I, I just wanted to kind of break this down today as we kind of round this series out, what it means to serve God with the gifts that we've been given. So I'm going to ask that question. What does it look like for us? to serve God with the gifts that we've been given. Here's number one. Number one, it looks like helping others. Looks like providing help, giving help where people have needs. And I want to go to this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, a spiritual gift has been given to each of us. Why? So that we can help each other. The simplicity of that. Our God has given us a gift so that others can be helped. Let's think about that for a second. God gave you a gift, and he gave me a gift. It doesn't say God gave gifts to certain people, and only those certain people can make a difference in the world. Only the special people, whoever they are in your mind, can make a difference in the world. No, he says, if you have been born of the Spirit, you're in Christ, a spiritual gift has been given to each one of us. You and me, your children, my children, your sister, Right? All of us have been given a spiritual gift so that we can help each other. Now, I'm saying that in today's environment because so much emphasis for so many people is put on people who are really good uh, giving speeches, uh, teaching, singing. Did y'all see Josh up here a second ago singing those songs? Like it was a concert at 8.30 at night. Like he'd had seven espressos and, you know. I mean, he was, he's like that every service. That's a gift. I could not do that if I tried. I couldn't do it for one service, but it's a gift that he's able to do that and live from that and be consistent in that. There's a spiritual gift that there's a gift for him to be able to do that. Misty, who you got up here and, and, and saw her promoting church merchandise, right? The church merch, as she called it. You know, so sometimes she's doing stuff here. You'll see her on television doing stuff with organization and just cool stuff. You know, she's got a personality. You're so cool, Misty, and positive. I wish we could all be like you. But that's a gift. 
To be that positive, it takes a gift. <laughs> to be that happy, it takes a gift. It's amazing. But a lot of times we will look at other people and think, well, you know, they've got the gifts. Where do I fit in? Where do I fit into the kingdom of God? And so for those of you who don't know, I didn't always do what I do now, like as a pastor of a church. Was, you know, up until early 30s, there was a lot of other things I did, most of them illegal, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Kidding. But the truth is, there was stuff that I had to learn to do in environments that I can kind of see still operates now. But I was doing these things in a different way then, helping people. In fact, when Janelle and I uh, were dating, one of the conversations that always would come around, and this was a long time ago, she would always ask me, you know, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> this is when, no, when you're great marrying material. What do you want to do with your life, Daniel? That was a constant question. And uh, the answer was, um, I just want to help people. I don't know. I just know. I'm, I know God has placed it in me to help people, and I don't know where that lands. And I, I couldn't shake that. I, I couldn't shake it. And I was 26. I was 26 at the time. So I was not able to shake in my mid-20s the fact that all the stuff I've, I've done, and I've been moving around because I was the ripe old age of 26, that I had to have it in me somehow, some way. This can't change. I know I'm called to help people. That's where I got to land. The interesting thing is that God had me, wherever he would place me, I would end up helping people. Not even as an official position. It's wherever I was, I was helping people. Conversations, life, taking people out to coffee, taking people out to dinner, just helping them, them helping me, me learning how to work out what's in me, helping them. Some of the same thing is in you. Some of you have the exact same thing that I'm talking about. It's just in you. There's by nature, God has designed you to pour out what's in you into others. That's a gift. And it's a beautiful gift. And it's a gift that this world needs desperately, desperately. From all the negativity and all the cynicism and everything that's divided, this world needs people who just listen and help others, help others walk through things. Here's the second thing. Serving a God with our gifts looks like. It looks like, number two, not comparing. Not comparing ourselves to other people. Not comparing our life to other people's lives. Not comparing our marriage to someone else's marriage. Not comparing our hairstyle to someone else's hairstyle. Not comparing, you know, your makeup to someone else's makeup. Your career to someone else's career. Your shoes to someone else's shoes. Your house to someone else's house. The way your, uh, their kids behave and your little rugrats misbehave. Like, that's what I'm talking about. There's this constant... If we think about it, there's this constant access right here to be able to see everybody else's life and think for maybe a second, my life compared to theirs is nothing. Or if you find somebody worse off than you, then you feel really good about yourself. Well, at least we're not them, you know. <laughs> Could be worse. But often that's how, how, how it works. We feel really, really good about ourselves if someone is worse off than us. But we feel really horrible about ourselves as someone is further on. We compare ourselves with our ages. Well, how old were they when they started their business? Well, when they left that job, how old were they? Well, how many kids? Well, when, how old were they when they had kids and when they got married? Like, we're all doing that. Some, in some area of life, it's so tempting to go there. And to think for a second that somehow that's going to get us to the next place that God has for us. And everything in the hugeness and the vastness of God is all brought down to this little screen that we're looking at that we say, well, maybe my life can't be that great because this person's is greater. They had an open door and I didn't have an open door. 
And all of a sudden, we can go from praising on a Sunday like this to Monday morning looking at somebody else's news feed or somebody else's social media and finding our own negative space. Friends, we got to get out of that. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does that work in all of us. Man, isn't that beautiful? That there's the same God, same faith, same hope that we have, but different gifts that God is using. Again, you can read those at another time. You can read about those and see how those fill your life and how you've been blessed with those things and how you live those things out. And then learn to not compare yourself to others. I'm grateful that the church is full of different gifts, right? Uh, It's beautiful to see that the body of Christ is connected in such a way where there's different people doing different things. I'm limited in how many people I can connect with. There's just a limit. At some point, there's just not enough time or availability to connect with people. So thank God for people who have the same heart that will connect with others so that they don't get lost in the mix. Okay, well, I'm preaching better than you sound like you're responding. So I'm just going to keep going. Number three, faithfulness. Serving God with our gifts looks like faithfulness. Faithfulness. First Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received. In other words, there it is again. Each of us have a gift, and you've received it. But use it, why? To serve others. To, to, to let other people be in the pathway in, in, in your line of sight and in your vision. Use that gift to serve others as what? As faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. What is a steward? A steward is a manager. Someone who manages something for someone else means that what they have does not belong to them. What they've obtained or what they received does not belong to them. It belongs to someone else. So they're a steward. They're a manager. Have you ever seen a restaurant that you drive by? And it says, under new management. You've seen that before? You know what that means? This restaurant sucked before. Please give us another try. (laughs) That's exactly what it means. It means there was stuff going on here that we weren't happy about, and we had to make a change, and there was an old manager, but that manager's not not here anymore. There's a new manager, and we're putting a sign to let our community know under new management, which basically means please give us another try. It's different because there was bad stewardship. There was bad management of it before. And so here he's saying we're stewards of these things, God's grace in its various forms, all these different gifts. And he's saying we're called to be faithful stewards, which means it's not my responsibility to steward your gift. It's your responsibility to steward your gift. We're stewards of the gifts we've been given. So we aren't building our own platforms. We aren't really building our own empires. We're building God's kingdom. Each one of us is doing this and living out of this. I thought this was interesting in Psalms when I was studying uh, just about serving and, 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 and the heart of serving. I found one of the Psalms, 106, verse 36, that says, They served their idols, which became a snare to them. Man, isn't that like, like, like life? Anything that you serve that's not God ends up becoming a snare to you. You know, it's all about your career. The career ends up becoming a snare. The thing that God blessed you with becomes the thing that traps you. You find a new relationship. The relationship that could have, should have been a blessing becomes the only thing to you. So then that becomes a snare rather than a blessing. It says they serve their idols, which became a snare to them. Anything that we serve that isn't Jesus as the ultimate goal ends up becoming a snare to us. Here's the next thing, gladness. How else do we serve God with our gifts? Gladness. 
Psalms 102 says, Serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Now, I don't know if you've ever met a cranky Christian before. They're pretty annoying, aren't they? Like there's something has gone on where they're, they, like they're talking all about Jesus, but you think that they're, you know, they've had, you know, diarrhea for the last six days. I mean, you just, <laughs> it's the only way I could get you guys to wake up. Sorry, I had to go there. I mean, there's just something in them that's just, they've lost the joy that was once born in gladness, in gratitude of everything God had done, everything God had forgiven, forgiven of much, but now they've lost it, and now everything is an issue. Everyone is an issue. The way they teach the Bible, the way they do this, the way they don't do this, the music's too loud, the kids' ministry is this, it's too hot outside, I don't like that church, I don't like this church, I'm not even sure if I like church at all, I don't know if I like preachers, you know what, I just like Bible studies on my own, I just like me timing God with coffee, that's all I like, like wh- wh- where is this, where did it come from, you just find out there's the, the gladness that was in their soul is gone. It's easy to get there with a lack of gratitude. It's easy to get there when you let down the guard of your own spirit. Proverbs says, a man that doesn't guard his own spirit is like a city with broken down walls. What happens when there's no walls in the city back in the Old Testament? Any enemy can get in and anything can come out. Yeah. <laughs> nothing protected. Nothing guarded. What I'm saying is for our gifts to really be in their purest form and to be used the way God intends, we've got to guard our spirit. We've got to keep a spirit of gladness. I'm not talking about fakeness. I'm not talking about being fake. I'm talking about finding the joy of the Lord in the little things at the table. I promise you, you can't get all the joy you need from helping others, from serving your kids, from making money, from getting a new deal. You have to get it back at the table where the beauty and the presence of God's grace covers anything and everything that you're walking through and then empowers you to walk out this life that he's given you. It's one of the easiest trap doors people fall through. But it says, come before his presence with singing, right after that verse, when it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Which to me is an indication that sometimes we have to sing our way back into the gladness that we've lost. This is the beauty of praise. This is the beauty of gratitude, singing back to God and thanking him for everything he's done in our life. I don't know about you, but I do not want to forget all that God has done just for the sake of doing something for him. I want to stay glad. I want to stay in that glad place. Lastly, we serve God with our gifts in this way. It looks like trust. Trust in him in whatever he's working out in and through our life. See, if you were to ask me, Daniel, how are you doing? Right now, I would say, I'm doing pretty good. The last couple of years, if you had asked me that, I probably would have said, I'm not doing too good. <laughs> not doing well at all. There's a lot of stuff going on, and God is the anchor in this storm. And I would have held on to that anchor, and I would have told you, trust is everything right now. Trust and surrender to God is everything. Now, it's still everything now, but sometimes you don't know how much you trust God until you need to trust God. And Hebrews says this, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. In other words, there's this 
mindset and this attitude that when we're encountering people and we're serving them with our gifts, we're thinking about this. We're not looking at that person for what they can do for us. We're looking at the hospitality we can show them. Let me break it down a little more. We're not looking at them and saying, oh, wow, they're a good connection. I should probably connect to them because they could connect me to something that's good for my career or good for my life or good for my clientele or good for my business or good for my pocket or good for my connections or good for my friendship. Like I'm supposed to look at them with the understanding that hospitality, me serving out of a sense of, and here's what hospitality means compared to what we think it is. Now we think it means some Starbucks and some Dunkin' Donuts at my house and hey, we're having some hospitality. It means a lot more biblically than what that word actually gives credit to. What it actually means biblically is us giving our lives, basically giving over our life to someone in that moment. That the, like a connect group, when someone opens their home and just totally opens up their home and gives their life to you and says, hey, here, here you go, I'm just here to serve you, here to, here to pray for you, here to believe with you, here to stand with you, that, that's a form of hospitality. But biblically, it really meant that. And it takes trust to do that. It takes trust in God to know that what he's giving us, hey, it could be used, it could be manipulated, it could be unappreciated. Just start serving people. Anybody ever been in any type of customer service before whatsoever? Please show me your hands. I need to know I'm speaking to a real church. Praise Jesus. You know my pain. Some of the rudest people in the world. I mean, I spent years in restaurants, years in retail, experiencing some of the crankiest people. One time there was this guy, I could swear he must have been 90 years old, walked in real slow, and he said, hey, and I was at the counter, like, and I checked him out on something. He goes, where's my receipt? I said, you're what? And he goes, my receipt. And then he, it was right there where he left it. And he grabs it and he goes, oh, you're lucky. I was, no, I'm not finished. And he goes, you're lucky. I was going to raise hell. <laughs> Have a nice day, sir. Like, I mean, it takes trust to stay in positions like that and get abused by crazy people like that, man. I'm going to raise hell. Oh, I'm scared, man. I'm scared. I'm so scared, bro. No, no, please, no more, no more. The best example I can show of trust is in Acts chapter 9. We all have experienced the beauty of what the Apostle Paul writes and, and, and lays out for us as far as what he says in the New Testament about living for Christ and how our new life has been transformed and shaped and how we're to live now. But we got to understand that the Apostle Paul And all these things he was speaking to us, Ephesians, Corinthians, Galatians, all these books that we read with this beautiful scripture that really empowers our life to live this Christian life, it it wasn't from a guy who learned that in Bible college. It's just from a guy who I'm going to just show you what his name, his name before was Saul. And he says this, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way of Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see a thing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus, there was a disciple 
named Ananias. Now, this is a different Ananias. There's the Ananias who got struck dead for doing something by God. That's not the Ananias we're talking about, right? It's a different Ananias. Ananias, um, he said, yes, Lord. He said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This, is, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. Now, the beauty of this story is this, is we all know that we can see the end of the story. Paul becomes, Saul becomes Paul. Paul changes the world. Paul takes the gospel everywhere. Paul gives his life for the gospel. Okay? And Paul impacts us even to this day. Scriptures that we put up there for encouragement to encourage other people came at his suffering and his expense. But Paul wasn't always Paul. He was Saul. And when he was Saul, he was a dangerous man. And he was a man that was imprisoning Christians and threatening them and throwing them in jail and murdering them. And Ananias gets word of this guy that he's coming to town, and then he realizes God wants him to serve Saul with kindness and compassion and understanding. And Ananias has to come to this place of trust and say, wait a minute. And it's almost like he's bargaining with God. I don't know if you know this, but this guy's a murderer. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but he has authority and has been given authority to do all these horrible things to people. And God says, go anyway. I want to tell you that sometimes that's what trust looks like when it comes to your gifts. That you're serving people who are across the other side of the protest line from you. That you're serving other people who are a different political party. That you're serving people who are in your neighborhood who don't live, look, or believe, or think what you and I do. It's a different ballgame. And we're called to trust God enough to serve them with his love. In spite of what people may think, even in spite, look, even in spite of Ananias fearing for his own life. That's the level of trust that Ananias had to come to in his own heart and in his own mind. Ananias had to trust God enough to serve him in the face of danger and the unknown. And if he'd not done that, he'd have missed the opportunity to impact and possibly disciple because we're not sure if Paul's, how long Paul stayed there. Did Ananias disciple him? Did so much of Paul's courage and strength and, and everything Paul became, was it because of that connection with Ananias? We don't know. The greatest convert of the New Testament. It's powerful to think about how our lives can impact someone else. When we trust God with our gift and use that gift to serve someone else, we don't know who's beyond that person's life, the impact of that person's life. Ananias, just a few things about him. He was a disciple. That's what I want to bring about and round this out with. He was a disciple, which means he was at the table with Jesus. 
He was able to hear from Jesus so clearly because he was at the table with Jesus regularly. That's what it says about him. Ananias was a disciple. He wasn't just a guy who came to church. He's not just a guy who believes in God. He's a disciple of Jesus. He, he helped people cross over from one life into the next, from darkness into light. I want to praise my uncle who's here. His name is David. I want to, can we just give him a hand? I'll tell you why in a minute. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. He's just visiting here today. He's, uh, he, he's um, just visiting here for a relative who's being baptized. But years ago, I was a teenager. And I remember working with him, and there was somebody there who uh, happened to be, uh, I think it was a business associate or something. But you ended up getting into a conversation about the Lord with this individual, this man. And I remember... Y'all started talking about God. And as you were talking about God, I remember you, you just swung the conversation around. At the end, the guy was giving all kinds of excuses about why he wasn't good enough and why he couldn't go to church. And I'll never forget this. I must have been like 16 years old. I just remember you saying, okay, at the end of the day, have you received the Lord Jesus as your Savior to forgive you of all this stuff you're talking about? And this man said, no. And you said, okay, well, let's pray right now. We can, we can, we can do that here. And I just remember never forgetting that moment where this man crossed over into life. Now, I, I was around my uncle for years. I never saw him do that again. But that one encounter for me was enough to show me the importance of trusting God with the gift and the courage of helping others cross over from death to life. And it's that boldness in us to trust God with that gift to share God's life and God's love into someone else's life. See, Ananias was a disciple. My uncle was a disciple. We're called to be disciples who help others, not, not just engage in life. There's got to be a crossing over, church. There's got to be a boldness about us that helps people move forward into the new birth, right? Secondly, he was available. Ananias was available. I'm glad he wasn't that day just saying, you know what? Uh, I'm kind of busy. I got a packed schedule. I got coffee at Starbucks at 10, and then I'm doing a lunch with somebody, you know, and then I'm picking up the kids at 3, and I got a Netflix show I'm catching up on at 7. Uh, I don't really know. Let me get back to you that on God. When God stirs these things in us, our availability can change the world. Our availability. Is there enough margin in our lives with the gifts that we have to be able to impact someone else? Thirdly, Ananias was courageous. That takes courage, man, to know that you're going to face somebody and love them and do what God has told you to do in spite of what may happen to you. That's a big deal. That is godly courage. That is Holy Spirit courage. That is boldness that only comes from someone who's been at the table. He, last thing is he was willing and obedient. At the end of the day, he could have been courageous, but not done it. He could have charged himself up about how he's going to do this and going to do that for, for Jesus. And he's, you know, God changed me and I'm going to do this. And then really sat and not really done anything with it. Ananias had to choose to step out. He had to choose to trust. That's what you and I are doing every single day in life and in the environments that we're in. We're trusting God with the gifts he's given us. And we're learning to live from this place of trust. And here's some encouragement for you as we close today, last scripture, to encourage you in what you're doing, where you're planted, where God has you, where he's uniquely positioned you with the gifts that you've been given. Colossians 3, 23. It says, work willingly 
at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Work willingly at what you're doing as though you're working for the Lord rather than people. In other words, there's going to be times when people are not really who or what you want to work for. But you remember that you're working for the Lord. Now, I don't advise you to go up to your boss and say, hey, just want to let you know I'm not working for you. I'm working for Jesus. Probably not a good idea. You'll be praying for unemployment, right, next week at the Next Steps table. But I do suggest that you get a (laughs) prayer card. Need a job. Did what Daniel said and never doing that again, right? I'm talking about having a strength in you that knows that it is God himself who planted the gift. God has given you the gift. And now you're working that that gift out in a place where God has uniquely positioned you in this season having the confidence to work for the Lord in that way. Like Gato, who's in the medical field now, Dr. Gato, congratulations, doctor. Like Lisa and Bobby, who were on the verge of divorce and over the last couple of years have rebuilt their life and their marriage and are serving God and bringing people to church and changing things all around them. Like Dustin, who's walked through some of the toughest circumstances I've seen a man walk through in the last year and has found a peace in God that only comes from trust. This is what I'm talking about. Trust with the gifts God has given you to pour those out to people who need help. There'll be people in your path, there'll be people in your path, there'll be people in your path who need what you have. And by faith, we pour these out to people. Amen. Come on, let's pray. If you would like the most up-to-date information about Grace Avenue Church, or you are looking for a way to support this ministry, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening.